Welcome, everybody, to episode 33 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Richard, I always forget what the S stands for, Greenfield, <laughs> and Walter Pysik. What does the S stand for again, Rich? It's Scott. It's just Scott. Oh, it's Scott. Very simple. I always Seth. I know this This actually isn't a joke. I, I just have a block against it. Anyway, that was some uh, awesome Game of Thrones intro music. If it, anyone actually remembers that, that Brandon, are you listening to the, or you're watching the final season now? Yeah, I'm fine. So finally getting around to it. <laughs> well, now that the, the now that the election now. is over, I've re- I've returned to watching scripted programming, and I finally watched Succession, as you all know. And now I'm finishing Game of Thrones. So I've just kind of like bombed through the last three seasons, even though I know how it ends. Um, although this last season isn't that great, but that's, that's kind of old. Hat. Well, we will continue to lobby AT&T and HBO max. Like we did earlier this week. Yes. That, that redo. was the impetus by the way. Yes, for, we had a, we had a good music. light shed event earlier this week. And I, for, for our listeners, just know that I did my best at trying to convince the company that they should redo the final season that could help to, to drive greater subscribers to HBO max because, well, you'll soon see that the final season is not. It's finest. But no, I, I'm, mi- I'm midway through it. It's not that great. It's just like a lot of uh, effects. And maybe if they redo the final season, do you think we can get put on as extras? Um, I think you and I look like we'd fit in. I, I think Rich well, with enough probably makeup, wouldn't we make all, it. We you have, to, you have to have like the luscious long hair. Brandon, would you do the shame episode if, if they elected you to do so? What? Really? The shame episode? Shame. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's... Uh, well, look, I, I think, think we, we can take a little, maybe a, t- a tiny bit of credit for the big news of the week, um, Rich. I think we can take a little credit. I mean, I think we've been pushing all of Hollywood really hard to think differently. And, you know, Hollywood's been playing around like with T-Vod. We, we, we just had this this view that, like... Put the movies on streaming services. It works for Netflix. It's working for Amazon. It's, I mean, Apple, you know, Greyhound, the Tom Hanks movie worked really well on Apple and really opened up their eyes to the power of big movies. I'm excited. I mean, having Warner Brothers, 17 movies, starting with Wonder Woman, all day and date, the, all the movies that are behind me on the screen, all of those movies are going directly to HBO Max as well as theaters. I think there's going to be a movie on HBO Max, a big movie, every three weeks on average in 21. Like, that's crazy. You know what I think, Rich? People might finally figure out what Max means. (laughs) No one knows what Max means. Again, I assume it came from Cinemax. But (laughs) now you can maximize your experience by having the day and date movie. So it actually adds something to the brand. In I was getting texts from friends. My family was excited down. about this mo- this new movie thing. People that were giving me shit over the weekend about like not understanding how to find undoing. Is it HBO? Is it HBO Max? Now they'll figure it out. Now right, they will the, fucking figure right, it out. Because the, the problem that Max well, has had both. Is, no. <laughs> no. Undoing, undoing is, is, is undoing, undoing is. Yeah. But, but not but the movies. All of, Correct. Oh, but and that's the movies the are just on Max. Because so now it's like a maximum experience. Here's how you figure it out. Delete all your other HBO apps and just download HBO Max. You're paying the same. Correct. Get that's rid what of I get did. Rid- I mean, I still don't understand why they didn't name HBO Max something completely different. The more I think about it, it's just <sighs> because it's just it's because they were bringing in Skinamax. I mean, Cinemax. Just have a new name, call it anything, and then say HBO, one of our greatest brands, is a part of what you get in this new Netflix-type offering. It seems so simple. Why, Rich? Why didn't they do it? Look, I could have argued Disney should have gone with a different brand than Disney Plus so that it could have incorporated more than just kids programming, too. And you know, sure. Hulu, as an example, is sort of a generic brand. It could mean anything. It was a made-up word, right? Like, Yeah. Disney had to use the the Disney brand, though. That's the best marketing that they could ever possibly have. So, if it, if it was Hulu, which the, includes Disney the Plus, plus really the bad. Plus could have stood for Hulu. 
I, I, to me, it's just. Well, we'll think, see what we'll see what happens. I mean, look in the wireless Thursday? industry, you had Pacific Thursday. Bell and, and, and Verizon. Remember, everyone one. thought Verizon was the dumbest name in the well, world, right? And well, AirTouch. I mean, how many different brands did they cycle through? Yeah, but know. this is this is different. AT and T and and Cellular One is, I guess. Look, Do they call the, it what, Walt? Go ahead. What's going to matter this week? No, no. But I think what's going to matter. Let's, what, what, yeah, let's talk about Thursday no, no, no. before we even get into this. Well, no, no, no. It's but, it's a big day. But hold on, before we get there, I just All want right. to talk about the fact that we've got seventeen massive movies that you know Walt's kids and people are talking to him and texting him about. The question is, we have one big thing that is still missing from HBO Max, which is they don't have distribution on Roku and. I have to believe 17 major movies all going to HBO Max. The only place you can get it is HBO Max. It's not going to be on a Roku device. Like, it's just hard to imagine this doesn't sort of push to get a deal done. We obviously had an Amazon deal done a few weeks ago. I think I'm, I'm saying it on this podcast by, by December 25th, when Wonder Woman comes out, HBO Max is going to be on Roku. That's my prediction. Bam. I would I would assume this gives HBO the lever or AT&T the leverage in this situation. However, maybe not because now that you're committing to distributing your your films in this manner, you probably want the widest possible distribution. Look, people think? are not going to cut their Roku devices and throw the yeah, I don't think four, 30 or 40 million people are not getting rid of their Roku's instantly to go see Wonder Woman. But I think over the totality Yeah, but of- over all of next year with all those right. <laughs> with I mean, all those films. I don't know. I mean, Look, Matrix I, I, is a big film. A chrome stick would be a great stuffing stocker. Stuffing? No. <laughs> stocking <laughs> stuffer. Stuffing stuffer. We, we definitely should Stocker. not have. I, this is why I never want to start the podcast before 1030. Stocking stuffer. Replace your Roku and be able to watch Wonder Woman for Christmas Day. Don't worry, That's why kids. Don't worry, kids. Your Apple TV or your Chrome Stick is sitting in, or whatever the other ones at, you know, are no sitting one, in your stock. No one even knows. Bye bye, Roku. Well, no one even knows it exists. Wonder Woman? They don't know it exists. No, no, no. no. The Chrome Stick. The, no the, one knows. The Chromecast. No it's great, but knows. no one knows. It, well, maybe it AT&T should start advertising that as part of their negotiating leverage. Or maybe Google should figure out how to advertise. I think I think a deal gets I just think a deal gets done. I think this is this is going to be the 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 kind of the crowbar that forces a deal to happen. It just feels like it. We'll see. Let's go to our first slide, because um, I think this really talks to um, Walt. I think we have to call you out here that you made this Whoa. call. Oh. Basically, you, your thesis was that while you were watching Mandalorian, that there was a lot of shout outs to the Clone Wars and it sort of made you feel like you wanted Easter to eggs. watch the Clone Wars. Yeah, Easter, Easter eggs. eggs. Sorry. Yes. Yes. They, they, the, the, the Mandalorian has done an amazing job. Actually, there's one character that I've learned only exists in a video game, <laughs> which is also pretty, pretty cool. I actually watched some Lego versions of Star Wars just to make sure that I've fully embraced the ecosystem. You have too much time on your hands, Walt. But what's interesting here is, so this is trending, and basically Simpsons and Mickey Mouse's Clubhouse and Moana have been like one, two, and three. It's it's no surprise. With with Mandalorian coming back, it's not surprising to see Mando climb up to number one. But seeing Clone Wars number three really speaks to the fact that sort of the the universe that Disney is uniquely good at kind of connecting the dots and driving people between properties this is a great example of how they're doing that using Mando to drive Clone Wars, something that I don't think happened before. And there's seven seasons of that as well. So in terms of this kind of reasons to stay in the D plus system, it's, you know, that's a good way to do it. Now, at some point you're going to burn through and, but I think what's going to happen with Mando clearly is spin out characters, right? They're, they're definitely looking at what was successful with Avengers um, the universe there and trying to recreate that within the Star Star Wars universe and certainly doing it with much better content than what occurred on some of the um, some of the more recent movies. Yeah, whether it's Mando or or the broader Star Wars universe, there's going to be many more series that cut co- that come out of Star Wars uh, over the coming years. And given the changing landscape of theaters, Rich, maybe the game plan is like if they had planned for a movie. Why not just break the movie up into, you know, whatever, 15 episodes and drop it in, into D plus? You know, look, I think Disney, uh, look, we're going to find out next Thursday. It doesn't really work that way, but 
Well, it's I don't know what happened. The chess thing, which is which is it, super popular it, on Netflix, yeah, it was it a was movie. A, it was originally, but wasn't it rewritten as a series? Okay. Well, yeah, is, I think is, an hour are and any of these Star Wars movies in production right now? Oh, get rewritten, you're saying. I mean, it's not rewriting. It's just breaking them up. Well, a- Ava DuVernay, I think that movie, that um, Netflix, the the Central Park Five um, series, but it originally was conceived as a movie and was turned into a series on Netflix because it just worked better in telling the story. So I-, I think all of those things are possible, Walt. I just think Disney believes they can have their cake and eat it too, meaning they can release movies in theaters that are the high profile blockbuster type films, and they're going to do a lot more. I mean, I think we're, we're heading into a Disney analyst meeting on Thursday they the, the email said to carve out four hours. Uh, you know, I think everyone's wondering, what are they going to talk about for four hours? And I think what you're going to see is a tremendous amount of content because I think they know they have to really scale up production for D plus. And I don't think they're going to be shifting. I think they'll shift some B level titles over, but I don't think they're going to follow. You know, when you see what Warner Brothers is doing, I don't think that's the strategy at Disney. I think they really think they can put them out in theaters Maybe they'll do Pivot during the COVID where they sell it for $30. But I don't think they're going to, I don't think their biggest titles like Black Widow are going straight to Disney. They, Is it just they, Hubert- they believe that they have to eventize their IP to a certain extent to, to, to keep it um, special. And they think that theatrical does that. And a lot of the counter arguments to, to them going day and date or straight to SFOD have been that Netflix has not been able to build a consumer products d- division because they can't make their IP special enough. I think that's complete bullshit, obviously. Um, I just don't think that well, there's... The, 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 the counter argument to that or the, the bullshit to that, Brandon, honestly, is just Mando, right? Like Baby Yoda is sold out, like right? Like that's a hot selling yes, consumer product that, and it never great. was in the theaters. Yep. That's right. I, mean, I don't it, Netflix inability to um, to build it's, other it's businesses all, off of it's it. Not is just, just, is it's execution. not just really in the well, ability. It's first of all, they haven't wanted to focus on that. Number one. And number two, what IP besides like maybe stranger things has even really lent itself to that. And th- they did a bunch of things with, with stranger things, experiences. There's, you know, a Even bunch at of universal, CDs, but the, isn't there a universal? There's something at show. Universal overseas too. I think. I think some of the theme parks have done stuff with Stranger Things. So, but how many do you need? They do have Stranger Things. There's one. Like, well, you what? basically need one or two a year, perhaps, to have to build a business off of it. So, is it? I well, mean, uh, let like, me ask you a question, Walt. Compare what would if you had a rank Mandalorian versus the last three or four Star Wars movies? It's much better, and I think everyone agrees with that. Hands down, it's not with even a much more with much more buzz, much yeah. more buzz and whatever. I mean, again, they're doing a much better job at, at I think, integrating other characters. But we'll say. Um, OK, let's go. Uh, I'm going to go to the next slide. Hold on. <laughs> we'll there we go to the trigger. Yeah, I just having a little technical difficulty. Sorry about that. We're staying so, on uh, Disney, I see here. Well, we are because there, there was a tweet out this week that I thought was interesting. Chris Palmieri, who is a Bloomberg reporter, uh, spends a lot of time on Disney, wrote Bob Iger's next steps, private equity or public service. And it's basically the, uh, the subheadline is, you know, Iger says he'd consider a job in the Biden administration. And, the you know, while the article basically talks about while Iger has to stay because of the pandemic going on, we continue to believe that Iger is going to leave. And I think part of the reason for the December 10th Disney Analyst Day is basically the departure of Iger. You know, they've been going through sort of a massive reorg. We saw the big TV reorg this week at Disney. We think essentially Iger is going to be reorg. Basically, he's going to step away. And basically, this is going to be the full sort of demarcation line. Iger's going to leave. Didn't he he already leave? What what, He's chairman and basically head of content, theoretically. But I don't really think back or is he he just partially left? You're saying you're saying fully leave. Well, that's actually an interesting point because he left. But then there was an article during the pandemic early on, a big New York Times story talking about how Iger was coming back to, quote, unquote, save the company. And I think that didn't go over so well. And, and, you know, so I think the reality is this is the official sort of. End of the Iger era, beginning of the Chapik era, where he's in full control. There's no so doubt about it. Brett Farving it, right? He's going to have a retire and then retire and then coming back and retiring. Yes. Now he's actually leaving and he's not coming back. 
and maybe he's going into well, the no, public service. A, lo- a lot of people thought that Iger was going to lurk over Chapik's shoulder because especially since Iger chose Chapik and there was some belief that the reason he chose the other Bob was so that he could kind of stay lurking over his shoulder, which wouldn't have been probably possible with someone more aggressive like Kevin Mayer. But it seems like Bob Chapik has wound up being aggressive, taking the bull by the horns and kind of doing what he wants to do anyway. And I that's iced the situ- the uh, relationship between the two Bobs. And now it, that's it. It's it's over for Iger, it seems. The question that I have is, is it also over for Alan Horn? Yeah, I think, look, that it's a great question. Obviously, the, the huge reorgs that Disney's had are clearly going to spell changes to the corporate structure. And I think Alan Horn, I think Alan's, I mean, he's definitely, you know, 77 or something like that. I mean, it wouldn't be a shocker age-wise for him to depart the company, but it is sort of two of the creative leaders of Disney sort of moving on. There's obviously a very deep bench, Kevin Feige, Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, there's a deep bench of creatives. And so this may not matter, but it's certainly a major change for investors of, you know, Iger is not even part of the company. He still has a year left on his contract, but I'd be really surprised if this analyst day wasn't about sort of that formal transition. I can't wait for all the congratulations, Bob, and thank you for your service. We, we're going to have a field day on Twitter with those <laughs> comments by our fellow analysts. Uh, let's move on to the FCC, where we had some uh, <laughs> interesting news this week, Walt. Move on to the FCC. So the first tweet is from State Scoop it says FCC uh, Chairman Ajit. Well, basically he's resigning on January twentieth. Um, the second part of this is another uh, tweet from yesterday, basically talking about how um, Nathan Simington has moved out of committee and is going to go to a floor vote in the Senate. I thought maybe um, the Senate would prefer to jam as many judges in as possible before the change of the administration. It appears that they're going to dedicate some time to get Simington confirmed. Now, as, as a quick reminder, uh, the reason Simington is even nominated was, you know, O'Reilly was expected to be renominated. He had some, you know, negative things to say about the Section 230 proceeding, which is the stuff that, for those that don't recall, is, is the thing that enables you to or prevents you from suing um, platforms like Twitter, the New York Times, or com- or for like comments that are on there. He, he's got a strong. Like, he's got a strong. He's got a strong view of the First Amendment, which I think makes two thirty hard for him. Right. Yeah, so they O'Reilly. bounced O'Reilly. They brought in Symington, who conversely was sending emails to the producer of the Laura Ingram show, saying like, <laughs> you know, let's try and pressure the FCC to move forward on what we're doing in commerce on Section two thirty. Anyway, so let's say Symington gets confirmed next week. And I think his term would start January 1st. Pi's leaving January 20th. So there's 20 days in there that technically they might be able to jam through some bullshit Section 230 thing. I was looking for my pencil, but isn't it pencils down? Whatever. Like, right. Y- uh, yes. The, the house is now I'm pencils- confused because I thought 230. It not Trump saying it needs to be part of this year's uh, defense right. spending I, bill or he's going to veto it, which which has never happened before? A- excellent point, Brandon. That's a completely, you know, you're right. The FCC, this thing was like, yeah. what does it even mean anyway? Who's got the authority? What Trump is saying on the NDAA, which is the is the act that funds the military, um, he's going to say like, and he tweeted again at one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning yep. that he's going to veto it because there's they they didn't include language that would revoke Section 230. That would obviously have much, who, you know, again, who gives a shit what the FCC does on this issue? Yeah, that would have much. I'm power, sure that veto is getting overrided anyway. We're not right. going to not fund the military, which is amazing, though, because it's all happening real time. So what's going to happen when they jam this thing through with enough votes that, the, that it can override the veto? Because it's funny, the military, when he's been tweeting, I'm going to veto, I'm going to veto because of Section 230. I mean, I'm not sure in this case, who who knows? We've seen crazy things in 2020 that he can bully Section 230 into into its existence as part of the NDAA. But whatever, that's got a lot of implications uh, if that happens. The other, by the way, interesting thing on this is... Chairman Pai, appointed by uh, Obama, but obviously a Republican... And very supportive, I think, of of the president has said he's going to resign on January twentieth. Isn't that effectively an acknowledgement of how the election has? Ended? <laughs> <laughs> I like I'm that just one. curious how that's it, so, so that means really come up gonna, in the mainstream press. 
So, so there will be an inauguration is what you're saying. I'm just wondering, like, would the chairman have specifically resigned on January 20th if Trump was the uh, or President Trump was the clear winner of this election? I, I think that's a fair point. Uh, it's, so a great just, it's, it's bizarre that the inference of that announcement um, relates to the election and, and everyone else that is has inferred that Trump hasn't won has faced the firing line. I mean, I think Bill Barr is. is Can I just go back to Symington for a second? Because I want to sure. think I think important for our listeners is if, if he actually is jammed through something on 230 over those 20 days, the challenge becomes pie leaves and it's deadlock two two. And sure, but the point is what they would be jamming through is a vote. Right. So no, so, no, I'm saying, but it, it would take until potentially four five, six months later to get to get back to three to two in the Democrats favor. And so overturning two thirty, like it could exist for six months if it passes in January. Um, yes and no. The, the no part being the bigger part. Um, the FCC has really no power in terms of Section 230. Remember, all they're putting an order out is an opinion. It, it is meaningless. Yeah. This will be decided in the courts or by our legislation. So, like, it could happen. It could make noise. It could make the president feel good, I guess. But uh, it's right. irrelevant. It's a, completely irrelevant. Yeah, so, so and I, and, and the reality is, I don't think I don't think Pi would do that. Like, on his, on his last 20 days, he doesn't deal with this shit anymore after January 20th. Like, why would he why would he like, you know, put his hand in that hornet's nest? Like, so Simington will, will get he'll get in on Jan 20. Nothing will happen for 20 days. Pi will go about his business. The SEC will be at a 2-2 tie for some period of time, depending on, you know, do the Democrats win Georgia or not, which we'll know what January 6th, I guess, yep. or whenever. Uh, Fortnite, Brandon, some big news this week on a couple of fronts. Well, I, I I guess it's all kind of tied together. And I guess we got away from <laughs> this whole podcast has been about Disney and we got away from Disney for for one slide. And now we're back at it. So Fortnite had their chapter two season four event, which was the biggest one on record, even bigger than Travis Scott. They had fifteen point three million concurrent um, concurrent players watching and then another <clears throat> three and a half million who were watching in YouTube and Twitch. Remember um, a year ago when everyone was talking about kind of the Fortnite fade and it was over and yep. it was like done. And I mean, that was literally December last year. Everyone was talking about Fortnite, sort of the old news and goodbye. And it seems like Fortnite just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's just a 15, three, a concurrent is just a ridiculous number. <laughs> it just no, is. It, it's, and what's, what's cool about it is that they were all working together to actually do something. Yeah. So it was like a massive multiplayer experience. And what they were doing was they had Galactus come in and he was trying to eat the world like software is eating the world or whatever. And, um, and everyone had to work together to shoot him down with Iron Man and Thor and they had Wolverine, um, whatever. And so this is this continued Disney tie-in to Fortnite um, which we've seen in Star Wars skins earlier this past season with the Marvel tie-in. And what you're going to be most excited about, Walt, because you're Mr. Mandalorian and you've wanted Mando to be in a video game. Well, this next season is focused on bounty hunters. And if you buy the battle pass, Walt, you will get to be the Mandalorian. And you yeah, can that's armor not the, him that's up. Not the version of the Mandalorian game that I'm interested in. I, well, I want it's not. I want to be in a ship flying through a cavern, blowing up well, some stuff. You know, being on a land cruiser or whatever it is. That's not running around doing the Fortnite dances. No thanks. Not for okay. me. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is still important because continued um, Disney cross marketing with Epic, which is pretty brilliant. Um, bringing third-party IP into Fortnite is is part of you know leading towards Tim Sweeney's metaverse um, ambitions. And lastly, the other thing it, that to, to me it just shows how it's a platform. Like yeah, Fortnite no, no. Well, that's exactly yes. And they're trying to build it out as essentially a, a metaverse platform over time. But also one last co-marketing thing that wasn't actually in here. If you buy anything this season in Fortnite, if you spend money, you get two free months of Disney Plus. 
So Can you just buy anything, anything in yeah, game. If you and spend, you get two, if you spend, it, if you spend anything, buy the battle pass, spend any money. Um, so these two companies continue to work pretty tightly together. So those, I mean, let's think about this. There's 15 million concurrents there. They're they're probably pretty interested in this game. Uh, some decent percentage of those will probably pay. And then the question though is the conversion. Like, yes, I I paid. I have the option. I have to. How do they know? to go and 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 well because like verizon's got the ever, same issue oh you mean to get the um so let's say i, to, I bought like the, i'm one of the 15 the, million uh, two months of disney Plus you're talking about yes how do they know i i haven't done it but i'm i'm sure it'll pop up and they'll they'll tell you to add it to your account i would also suspect that there's a pretty high overlap already between disney plus users and the Fortnite community. I mean, I mean, people, the Fortnite, it's, it's family. They're both it's, very, very broad, right? Yeah, I'm just saying. Like, I mean, it's it's families with kids in general is what we're talking about. And I think yes, it's younger kids that Disney Plus is skewed to. But I would assume there's a pretty good overlap already. It's certainly incremental, and I'm sure helpful. But I kind of agree with Walt. Like, it's not the most obvious activation path. Um, so do you get it? the two free months if you're an existing guy or an existing subscriber tacked on, or is it only for new users that haven't activated yet? I I believe it gets tacked on. Okay. I don't know. Based on the look. ad I saw. Uh, again, I just saw an ad for it. But let's stay on topic because I think it's an important one is this idea of activations. And so Discovery uh, uh-huh. announced their it's the, the other D plus. This one's Discovery Plus, not Disney Plus. But Discovery Plus rolled out this week, or they announced that they're launching on January 4th. But the big news was really that Walt uh, Verizon partnering again with a legacy media company to sort of promote their new streaming service. In this case, you get a free year or six months, depending on which Verizon Unlimited package you have. And so somewhere between 15 and 20 million Verizon customers for some period of time will have access to Discovery Plus at no additional cost. But the question I have is, you have to activate and <laughs> yeah how many people are actually going to activate is where i kind of struggle uh i'll tell you this i'm a verizon customer and i'm not going to activate i think wildly successful programs in anything you get maybe 15 percent of the base that that does it i wouldn't necessarily say this is something that's wildly interesting um sorry anyone from discovery that's listening <laughs> but well, i Ronan Dunn, when he was on CNBC, I want to get your reaction to this quote, Rich. He said, we have turned down partners in the content space so we can work with world-class partners like David, David Zaslav and Discovery. I, 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 saw, I saw that, in, at that you know, interview. With all due respect to David Zaslav, I mean, again, like... If no, you're and Verizon, by the way, we're not shitting on Discovery. Correct. Right here. Discovery has been wildly successful. It's global. It's a very high margin business. They own all their own content. I think the problem you have here is that even the way Zaz kind of pitched it on CNBC was he was like, well, for for a lot of women, discovery programming is like sports center. It's kind of what sits in the background um, during the day or at night while you're doing while you're doing other stuff it's like and it's like the comfort food that's not the type of programming that you're going that you're going to lean forward and a activate and probably b sort of choose to to put on a specific episode for it's it's, you just, know, look, it's not lean I, forward I, I, and svod is very lean forward experience I, look, I, I think there is a group of people that absolutely are passionate about discovery programming, Food but Network, Home and Garden. Well, but that's and where big I'm going. enough that that content isn't replaceable by anything else. Well, that that's really why I put this slide. And are up they the passionate back. about watching it, you know, on linear, or mm-hmm. are they going to like go in and like be like, I want to watch season three, episode seven of whatever. Well, that, that's why I put up this slide. So Discovery at the Analyst Day talked about 70 million addressable market in the U.S., 400 million outside the U.S., so like this 470 million global TAM. But if you just isolate the U.S. and that sort of 70 million that they talked about in the U.S. is their upside opportunity. And I look at it and go, you know, Discovery on a night, you know, their biggest show, uh, which is, you know, whatever, the 90, uh, 90 Day Fiance or whatever, you know, it does like 4 million, 4 million viewers in the finale. Like it, it's... 
most nights you're talking about one to two million viewers or even less on these mm -hmm. networks. By the way, Rich, that's yep. what regular season basketball does on ESPN. But this is the problem with everyone doing, you know, so what, what I would call the niche or SVODs is that no cable network is doing tens of millions of viewers on a regular yeah. basis. The only time you, the only you, time you need a but you need a bundle of content. You, <laughs> that's it. And, you and, need, like you need sort of that that uh, cross not cross promotion, but. And that's where I struggle. So I, I look, I think it's interesting from a Verizon standpoint is that they're taking polar opposite content from what Disney like this is definitely different content. The question that I struggle with is what is the content that's going to say I'm going to go into my Verizon account. I'm going to go click activate. You know, we saw this problem with sort of T-Mobile and Quibi, and I don't want to put discovery in the Quibi bucket specifically, but just because you give something away doesn't mean you're going to go out and activate yep. it. Oh, look, you have uh, T-Mobile's got Netflix. AT&T obviously has uh, HBO Max and uh, Verizon's got Disney. That's the anchor of the bundle yep. and, the, and the wireless operators. Like the one thing you're never going to disconnect is your cell phone. I don't believe primary bundle. Um, so if you as you layer content underneath it, like these are the new bundles. The question is, when does it kind of cross over at what point? Because I don't think there's exclusivity on some of these things. So like, why not just add all of them? Like if you're Verizon, why not go to Disney or excuse me, Netflix and add Netflix to some of your higher tier plans as well? I think it's just honestly, my, my well, first of all, I don't know about exclusive. I don't know what the, the contracts actually say is or is impossible. But remember, they're subsidizing a pretty good amount of money here. And so there's probably a limit on how many. What I've been surprised about well, is, that's not really true because they they include them in higher price buckets, right? So you may think that you're subsidized, but you're actually just moved up to the next rate plan, and they're not necessarily getting all of the expense. And 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 let's remember some basic accounting here. In Verizon's case, if if you don't move up to the higher bucket and pay them the extra fifteen dollars, they become the billing person, so they're charging you for Disney. And that revenue is actually showing up in their service revenue and, and driving the ARPU, which is what investors want to see. So it's like a win-win for them. And it's not necessarily an incremental cost. Even though it's a much lower margin business for them, obviously, but it shows up anyway. It's all, I guess it's incremental profit. But no pay, you know, I mean, what guys are investor or Verizon investors focused on, Walt? Is it that? Is well, the that, margin is the margin is being is being fucked with because of the handset business and how they're doing that. The, the service margins on this business, remember, are like sixty percent, with a capital intensity of fifteen percent. So if they're going to give a little margin to get your ARPUs up, which is going to excite investors and maybe also help you with churn and subscriber growth because you can get more things, like that's probably a good trade off for a company that is like a two percent grower and maybe is going to lose investors because they can't grow anymore. Hello. Did that shock they, you? They 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 have <laughs> well, those dividend funds. So this is this is. I was going to stick on Verizon. Right, no. So oh, that's what I was trying to do. Verizon. So I, I was teeing it up perfectly. So we got Verizon we, DSS. We well. ordered these so perfectly today. I think I think Rich is is shifting the order. I like it though. So this is basically a a text or tweet, excuse me, from Light Reading. Um, and there was two different reports this week talking about how this DSS technology, this is the technology that when Verizon uh, announced, we have nationwide 5G at the iPhone event when Hans Vestberg was on stage. This is what enables them to be nationwide, which by the way is 200 million pops. It's not really everywhere. So their coverage in some of these recent reports is not actually as good as T-Mobile and AT&T in terms of, of 5G. But these reports showed how when you're on DSS, your speeds are obviously much worse than when you're on their millimeter wave spectrum, which is in very limited areas. And it kind of validates something that we wrote last week where we really kind of peeled the onion on DSS, this technology, and found out that we did what we first thought um, was true is not really true. Meaning we first thought they would take multiple blocks of spectrum and put data through 5G over all those multiple blocks. What they're actually doing is only using one block of, of spectrum for 5G and then supplementing it with LTE. So what does that mean? That means that if you have a Verizon phone, 5G is on the screen and you think you're getting 5G, there's probably bits, if not the majority of the bits that are still traveling over LTE, the 4G technology. So this is 5GE I, Verizon way, version. It's just amazing that that 
I've actually had the opposite, Walt, and I was wondering why that's happening. So sometimes, like, I did a speed test when I was on LTE because everything seemed fast, and I was getting, like, 500 down. Does So LTE, through this thing called carrier aggregation, which all that means is you're taking... It's like taking multiple lanes of traffic and pushing them together. So there's just a lot more bandwidth for your data to travel. So LTE carrier aggregation gives you really good speeds. They're, they couldn't make that work with DSS. They couldn't carrier aggregate with DSS. So they're just supporting it with LTE. So um, whatever. I mean, AT&T got a lot of shit because what you described, Brandon, which is they were just using LTE and they yeah. called it 5GE. <laughs> But it gave right. you better speeds. And again, that's all that matters, like getting better speeds. And the bottom line is you get better speeds when you use more spectrum. The technology acronyms really don't mean much until we get to DISH. And when DISH does their um, open RAN network and they can do network slicing and they're building this thing from the ground up, that you will see them be the first ones to really experience what 5G truly means from core to the edge of the network. And it was just hilarious today that um, you had someone downgrade the stock. And let me see if I can find find the reason here. I, I want to read it so I, I represent it properly. This was a street event. Mike McCormick from Guggenheim Securities says, firm has reduced, this is from street accounts. So I can't say whether this is an accurate representation of his note because we don't obviously read our, our competitors' notes. Firm has reduced confidence. A partner for the company's wireless build-out will emerge. And the company's apparent strategy of building out a retail wireless business on its own. Let's be clear. <laughs> Dish has been very clear in saying that they're not getting these strategic partners until they build this new 5G network, this NR network. And we have a quote from Tom Cullen from May of this year saying that exact thing. Rich? Should I play it? Okay, yes, here we please. go. And as I said on the last call, once we have... A market built, and we're able to demonstrate the capabilities of what a virtualized network can do. We think that's a better time to attract uh, third-party interest. So he just said, once we build the network, then we can obviously make the partnership. And the downgrade today, from what at least I'm reading on, you know, street events, is you're downgrading it because you don't have the partner before the build. I, okay, we knew that in May, if not earlier. You know, your people like to make up. No, people like to make up stories, right? I mean, it's just like people. Maybe the note was misrepresented. I don't know. Yeah. But like, look, we'll if you're going to look these partners, wireless connectivity as the network change, as network slicing um, emerges, as um, edge compute is important, is going to be important to the large cloud guys. They will be involved one way or another. Maybe Dish will never get a partnership with them, but there's no reason for them to partner this early until Dish can kind of start doing this stuff, which is a 2021 event for the company. So, well, as the way, even, I mean, that's a 2021 event and I don't know when that, you know, build out gets completed, but is there really any applications right now today that really utilize or need 5g? I think that the, so low latency, which does not exist in a lot of these speed tests that we're seeing, um, and also core integration has, um, what do they call it? Um, virtual, oh, I'm blanking on it. Uh, artificial intel or artificial, a, a, especially when you hold your phone up and- AR? Like, AR. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Augmented reality we're talking about. Augmented reality, okay. like real-time I mean, voice there's translation. De there's definitely uses of 5G, right? But are the services- that really capitalize on 5G even going to be available until there is sort of a wide you know, nationwide usage. Well, it's hard to capitalize on those. 5G just kind of like useless now. It's, it's hard to capitalize on those services if what's deployed thus far doesn't have low latency. It's still effectively LTE. If you're right. saying something's 5G, but you're pumping it through LTE. Yeah. I mean, I get the, the UW sometimes. Well, sports betting. I mean, there's going to be lots of things on mobile Event, that are going event, to be... Eventually. But, yeah. but I don't... Like, I upgraded my phone. I don't even know that it really matters. Like, sometimes things feel a little sure, faster. because of where the networks are today. But those things are changing 
um, very, very quickly. For example, you know, T-Mobile, 40 million pops are covered with their 2.5 spectrum. It's going to be 100 million by the end of the year. It's going to be 200 million at the end of okay, next year. So this so it's is, just, right. So this is going to move fast. Right. So the, the thing is, like, it's good to have the devices out there because then when you finally get it going, your base is seated with it. But like it's marketing, right? Again, why does DSS as a technology exist? Really for one reason, so that your Verizon phone has a 5G icon in the corner <laughs> to compete with T-Mobile who has a 5G icon <laughs> in their corner. <laughs> and right. yeah, that, and the ironic thing is that's like, the conclusion least, I was getting. At least yeah. on, on T-Mobile and AT&T, if 5G appears in your phone, not 5GE, all of the bits are actually going through 5G radios. In the case of Verizon, that is not the case. They are using uh, or supplementing some of that traffic um, with LTE. Let's move on, Rich. So I wanted to stick with Dish because um, stay on topic. And so the, one of the big stories uh, as Dish shifts more and more of its focus every day to, to wireless, they are trying to improve the profitability of their legacy satellite business. They're in yet another carriage battle. And let's listen up to a customer who is not too happy. No. Next door did it. They really did it. They have removed NBC from Dish. So now I can't watch Jeopardy or The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon anymore. And I am so angry right now. <laughs> you know, consumers get pretty irritated. I mean, I think it's. Yeah, everyone gets caught. Usually in the middle, it's over sports, not Jeopardy, especially in this like kind of post Alex Trebek world. But <laughs> everyone has their as, interests, as I guess. Show to get <laughs> angry about. I would just go to the, I mean, damn. Go to the libraries <laughs> and rewatch Alex over the years. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess is Ken Jennings hosting or something. <laughs> I don't know. I also I, I wanted to tell the guy like he could go out and buy an antenna and watch it for free. I mean, uh, there's plenty that, of yeah, that dude uh, is plenty of antennas. That, but, that dude's pissed. Give, yeah, look, give that man his jeopardy. But I, I think it does. You know, look, we've seen Charlie be by far the most aggressive executive or management team in pushing back on reach on, on all programming costs. Right. The RSNs he's you know, you know, kind of repeatedly dropped um, uh, broadcast networks that have pushed for too high of an increase. I'm sure they'll get to a deal eventually, but it really shows sort of the increasing tension in the in the ecosystem where. You know, all of the kind of subscribers are are, are struggling to grow. You know, in, in most cases, they're they're declining pretty meaningfully at all of the legacy distributors. Certainly, satellite has struggled, um, especially the satellite part of satellite, not the kind of uh, sling part of of Dish. But the core satellite business continues to struggle in terms of subscribers, and costs keep going up. It's just a really bad recipe uh, that Charlie's pushing back against. I thought the most interesting part of that video was that the consumer wasn't blaming Dish. They literally were blaming the 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 station group or in, in Nexstar, which was interesting. Is, is it possible that was just a completely like sarcastic, ironic TikTok? And that obviously he's just and we're making just fun of the fact that anyone would be that upset about losing. <laughs> which one of you guys Jeopardy? found that one? <laughs> Not me. Uh, I found that one. A, it was I found probably it. a Joe Galone find. <laughs> uh, actually, when I typed in Nexstar Dish. Uh, oh, into you, Twitter. You, That's one of the you, first you things search, you search for. It it didn't yeah. organically pop into your feed. Well, no, no, but it, but it it surfaced in search almost instantly. Like that was the one of the most popular you know videos from the drop. You know that happened a couple of days ago. Cool. Uh, let's go on. So we've got um, Joe Rogan has you know he's been on Spotify now for a while. I mean this happened uh, much earlier this year where he shifted over. Uh, to being on Spotify as well. Remember, he was the the most searched for our most searched for podcaster not on Spotify was Joe Rogan. Spotify signed an exclusive several months ago. He went on to Spotify. As of December first, though, no more shows on Apple Podcasts. No more shows on YouTube. In fact, the entire library is gone from Apple Podcasts. There's one episode left on YouTube. It's the old episodes, but none of the new ones. And so, this is really a seminal moment for for Spotify and the podcast business to see whether or not his audience transfers over. Do exclusives matter? Uh, I think this one's going to, I mean, he's such a big podcaster. Yeah. He's number one on Spotify right now. He's not, he's not, not, not just, else. but we are actually, if you look at the app store rankings, rich um, Spotify, it, 
as a download was sort of like floating uh, around 25, 20, you know, mid twenties, low twenties for a very long time. And I think yesterday um, in iOS, it was up to six um, for downloads. So I don't know if that's a function of Spotify wrapped um, having occurred now, or it's Rogan himself um, or, or the combination of both, but you know, one of the big reasons you pay Joe Rogan all that money and and take it exclusive is to get you know more uh, active users on Spotify and it seems like it's working. So what are the metrics that you're looking for? Is there a specific Spotify number that you think that you'll see a blip one way or another to evaluate whether this worked or not? You know, they always talk about what percentage of users of Spotify use podcasts. So I think we're going to be really curious whether this meaningfully increases the number of people using podcasting uh, within Spotify. And then, you know, I doubt this leads to a huge surge in paid subscribers because you don't have to pay for Spotify in order to use Joe Rogan. But I would think that the MAUs probably, you know, outperform expectations if Joe Rogan is as impactful as people think, because it really is driving, you know, you have lots of people that were not Spotify users this should increase the number of people that are Spotify, at least free users uh, going forward. You know, he's got, you know, 10 plus million regular listeners. I mean, this is a pretty big, he's a pretty big, you know, I remember he puts out a lot of content. So you get a lot of visibility with multiple shows a week to drive audience. And it's really the first thing we've ever seen. So this is going to be the trial balloon of like, does this exclusive podcast strategy work? Sticking on podcasts, we've got uh, news out of Amazon or out of the Wall Street Journal. This is a Mal Strama writing exclusive. Amazon's an exclusive talks to purchase podcast startup Wondery. Uh, according to people familiar with the matter, as the tech giant pushes further into the growing digital audio sector. Full disclosure, I was an early investor in Wondery. We've been big fans of Hernan Lopez, the founder, since he was at Fox. Uh, he had done Fox International channels and had this idea for narrative storytelling in the podcast format. And his, you know, shows like Dirty John, shows like The Shrink Next Door, uh, Bunga Bunga, which is the Berlusconi kind of um, podcast that he, that Wondery's been behind. What's interesting about this is that Amazon, as the buy, the, uh, theoretically Amazon as the buyer, shows that Amazon really sees what Spotify is doing and wants to be a major player in podcasting. Because heretofore. Yeah. I don't think you think about Amazon when you hear the word podcast. No, I think we everyone is kind of assumed, especially as there's been announcement after announcement that Spotify was eventually, eventually, not now because I, their market share isn't there, going to own the podcast space. And Amazon is making their mark. There's been a flurry of hiring at Apple and assume that they're going to probably do more over the coming year. So no one is ceding anything to Spotify just yet. What's interesting, I think, is that Spotify wasn't apparently in this. And there's a difference in philosophy in the type of content that Spotify wants to be their flagship exclusive content, which is sort of that week in, week out, predictable, sort of a little more radio-like podcast content, which seems to be at the top of their charts versus Amazon um, going for that more narrative approach um, content. Yeah. And look, they have Audible, right? So, I mean, Amazon's been, I mean, in many ways, Amazon was in audio. Which is more narrative. Yeah, exactly. Obviously. I mean, they they started there. I mean, Amazon sort of owned narrative storytelling and audio because they were yep. in the audio book space. Amazon's owned Audible for a long time now, and it's sort of been surprising that they haven't executed. I know podcasts and audio books. I realize they're different. But when you listen to podcasts like what Wondry's doing, like it is they're really close in terms of delineating yeah. that line. And I think it's just an. It seems very same, obvious. Same to me. type, same type of storytelling, generally. And if, and if Amazon's getting more serious about being in sort of all forms of audio, I mean, I don't think they're. A, I don't think they've gotten a lot of people to subscribe to Amazon Music beyond the free kind of Alexa service that comes with all of the Alexa devices. 
but maybe this is their way of creating more original programming, maybe more exclusive, just like Spotify and Rogan. Maybe this is their way of sort of, you know, jumpstarting their music efforts and, and using podcasting, exclusive podcast content as a way to, to drive that. I mean, we don't know whether Wondry is going exclusive or what, you know, the, the Bill Simmons did not go exclusive, obviously. We'll see what happens here and what they do with it. But it, it's a pretty big move for Amazon, you know, trying to compete with what Spotify is doing. Wondery also has a separate subscription attached to it. I'm interested to see how that plays out under the Amazon banner. Meaning, does Amazon create sort of a podcast subscription business leveraging? Yeah, and, what- re- and really build off that. Do they chuck it into Prime? Uh, we'll we'll see. I'm curious to see right. if if Apple has any response. I mean, all the press reports said that Apple was involved in the bidding for this. Maybe they'll go and buy Q Code. Hopefully, because all three of us own that one. But, (laughs) you know, I I don't know. I mean, I think the Apple look, Apple's clearly doing something. They're bulking up in podcasting. They've been hiring a lot of people. They clearly have ambitions, but they haven't seemed to want to own content. Uh, Maybe they develop content. You know, you clearly see what they've done on the video front. They haven't bought a studio. Right. But they've been building. You know, Walt loves Ted Lasso. I, I hear everyone's talking about Tehran. Like there's a lot of content on Apple TV plus, you know, maybe the, maybe this is just Apple's going to build content rather than buy content over the course of, you know, the next couple of years. It wouldn't shock me without, you know, you don't have to buy. I mean, look, Netflix is the proof. You don't have to buy a studio. You just have to spend a lot of money. Uh, you know, it's you true. know, the, the obvious reason you might buy podcasting though, is that, Obviously, a lot of this content can be upstreamed. The IP can be upstreamed into TV and film. That's what also could be interesting for Amazon is you take some of these series and you turn them into yeah, TV that's, shows. That's and a movies. great point. And yep. So that could be the logic for why Apple buys one of these companies. But, uh, you know, Apple hasn't really bought a whole lot. They're not really a buyer. They seem to be more of a builder. So that may just be the reality. And I think to Walt's services point, it seems logical that a podcast subscription of some sort comes into that services bundle over the course of the next year. Uh, Maybe I'm crazy, but it feels like that's coming. Uh, Let's move on to the next slide. We've got, um, this has sort of surprised me, uh, Brandon. You know, we've met with Reddit a lot over the years, uh, and we've sort of been fascinated by something that is very heavily used. You know, in many ways, people say like, you know, memes and content sort of starts on Reddit, especially, you know, it's very, very passionate communities of sports fans, gamers, you name it. Yep. I was sort of surprised that, you know, if, if you believe this tweet from Turner Novak, Reddit now has 52 million DAUs up 44% and ad revenue was over a hundred million in 2019. It's pacing to be up 70%. He's pulling out of a wall street journal article uh, from over the past week. What that implies is that there's only $170 million for, for Reddit in, in 2020. That's obviously up a lot from 2019, but it's still a pretty small company I th- you know, in terms of ad Look, revenue. I think Reddit is kind of a, a, a tough pitch for a lot of advertisers who are worried about brand safety because it, it there is kind of in anything goes in terms of what are in those Reddit forums. Um, and, and I think that's there's been a reluctance on the part of advertisers for that reason, despite the engagement there can you not make a big business if it's if you don't have brand i mean is there other type of transactional advertising that you can monetize to the same extent or is basically all the big dollars tied up in brand and i think you're right that based on what i've heard from my kids i'm not a reddit user myself there's crazy (laughs) shit that's on reddit there is but hey look the better they fine-tune their algorithms they can absolutely be more of a direct response performance advertising company uh, maybe brand, maybe big brand never works, but I, I do tend to think that even with some of well, the they, content, they, they just have to make sure that they get the advertising against the type of content that I don't understand that brands feel comfortable. But even if with. they do, but hold on, even if they do that, and then in a whole other section of Reddit where there's no advertising that your brand is on, yeah. um, you know, some parent see something and then says like boycott anyone that's advertising on Reddit because of like this crazy shit that happened in this, you know, this Reddit stream or whatever. Yeah. Look, that's what the challenge. I mean, you, you that. 
Look, YouTube faces it all the time. I mean, obviously, the content's not nearly as racy as some of what's on Reddit, but even YouTube faces that backlash. And that's why there's so much pushback on all of these companies uh, in terms of objectional content and why they're so sensitive to it. And yes, they don't allow advertising on kind of questionable channels on YouTube. But to your point, Walt, the content often is still there. It's just not you can't advertise on that content. Now, on but the flip it's still side, on the service. But on the flip side, like why advertise on television? I mean, we we had some a chart in our in our note on five um, G in America, showing how Verizon jacked their advertising by 50 percent. I think it was. I might have that number wrong, but it's 40, 50, 60 percent, something like that. The impressions that they got were only fifteen percent higher. And then when you look at the other uh, AT and T and T Mobile, they haven't really increased the TV ad. So, like you know, I guess. I guess it's kind of like the markets now. Where do you put your money? Like where do where do you put your ad dollars? Right in terms of if television's not producing for you because ratings are are, are in a free fall. Ratings are in a free fall. You know, sports viewership, as Brandon has written about, has underperformed. It's not just entertainment. I mean, entertainment programming has been bad for a while because of all the stuff that's you know you're watching Mandalorian on Disney Plus, not in the cable bundle. News is you're good. watching you're watching EPL. <laughs> you're watching EPL on on Peacock, like. There is so much stuff outside the bundle that it's not shocking. So I, I think the real question is, is when do big marketers like Verizon start shifting an accelerated portion of their budget to digital? I think that's happening well, now. They claim, yeah, they claim they're 50-50 now. They wouldn't give me like where were they two or three years ago, but maybe it was like 80% television, um, you know, two or three years ago. And, and you know, the shift is the shift is certainly ongoing. Um, and I think there'll be new business models that will emerge. Same thing with stores that like we talked about this last week. I mean, COVID has obviously changed things and in, um, in many different ways or accelerated things. Activision, Brandon, uh, there was a lot of fear about Call of Duty that we were talking about on the podcast recently. Yeah. Like what happened? Yeah, everyone's been pretty focused on Call of Duty units and there wasn't the regular press release that came out the Wednesday after the launch. Um, with the update on how well units are doing. And they finally put a press release out today. Look, it, units were clearly fine. One of the things that they said was that it was a record-breaking launch for Cold War. But I, so I, why didn't they put out a press want, release? What, I, no, I don't, think about I, it. I don't know. But what I, I think that is happening here is they want investors to focus on the fact that they've developed a full ecosystem around Call of Duty that is inclusive of Warzone, the free-to-play experience, and mobile. And so they want to de-emphasize any one piece it, of the franchise. That that's like they want right. you to look it, at it totality. Especially the part of the franchise that is a little more cyclical. If if you think about it, what when um uh, you had major multiple expansion in video games like three years ago. It was all because video games were moving more to a recurring revenue model um, and had much more SaaS-like uh, qualities with continued in-game transactions and games continuing to have a life for many, many, many years, right? And they're showing you that they have done that with, with Call of Duty now. And I mean, they're doing $3 billion this year in revenue with, with you know, a significant portion of it coming from mobile and battle pass and in-game transactions that are linked to Warzone. And it's interesting because you haven't seen video games haven't gotten that multiple expansion in, in COVID. Despite um, the fact that they're this, crushing it. Despite the fact that numbers um, have come up, but what you've seen is that it's it's really the SaaS-like qualities that are that are doing very well. Take a look at um, Take Two, right? Grand Theft Auto Online having by far, or not probably by far, but but having its best year ever. The amount of content that they rolled out into GTAO in the past couple of weeks. And that franchise just continues to move and move and move and and monetize despite the fact that there's been no new like full game release. Like I don't even know if it matters when GTA six comes out, other than you know, it'll be a couple of billion dollar windfall. 
I mean, it's creating a much more kind of consistent, predictable business for Call of Duty than they've ever had. Yeah, which should beg for multiple expansion. That, that's where I was going. I right? think that's... they're. I think they're going to have to do it at at Blizzard outside of World of Warcraft. You know, really with Diablo and Overwatch in these next iterations, probably to get that massive multiple expansion. Um, but in the next two years, you're you're going to get new versions of both those games, and that seems to be the plan with rollouts of mobile experiences and free-to-play elements and and we'll see if it works if it does i'm going to just digress for a second to get a lot of multiple expansion here i want to just digress for a second and talk about the larger gaming i mean it's sort of amazing right we started the podcast off talking about Fortnite, just being continued to reaching new highs games like among us have exploded roblox is going public and they're exploding call of duty is getting bigger numbers than it's ever had like it's it's a little hard to comprehend how everyone we, we met with Scopely earlier in the week. Like yeah. every single game company seems to be winning right now. Like there's just more and more consumer time spent. Yeah. Shifting I mean, to games. Obvi- obviously the fear is that this is just their COVID winners and that yeah. they're not going to, this isn't sustainable um, in a, in a post COVID world. But, but if you I, flip it around, I, I the, believe the, that be, behavior is changing. People who don't normally play games have either reengaged with them or or playing them more. I mean, I don't play games that much, and I'm you know Astros here in my background. Um, all I know is that when in the TV world, viewership is shifting from the traditional legacy linear world to the streaming world. In gaming, it just seems like the tide is rising and every single player is winning and taking more time spent. And that's probably hurting some of the TV ecosystem, too, to be fair. Yeah, it, it, and it's 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 a broader group of players. And you could say you mentioned yep. Among Us. It's that more casual, very social yep. game that has um, new players who I mean, look, everyone. I, I really like Among Us, in, by the way, in, in Call of Duty forever, Rich. Right. Um, but now you have a, a broader audience of players who are socializing within games than you ever had before. And I don't think that behavior is is going to change post-COVID. Speaking of post-COVID, Walt? Yeah, Dan, this is basically Dan Primack just announcing the news today, which the DoorDash, which is in the process of an IPO, has is, is increased its IPO price range. What's what's fascinating about this, right, is you know we've got light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the vaccines, and and clearly, you know, Uber has shifted, you know, a lot of its business to food delivery, and these these food delivery things have been have been very hot. But um, like stocks should discount future events, and the future event is that we should be hopefully out of this thing um, by this summer. So where do, where does that business go? Because right now, like I'm doing a lot of delivery in part I'm, it's, I'm getting paid for it again like they have these situations where the delivery prices have plummeted so the volumes are going up i'm not sure where the profitability is for some of these things including doordash in terms of some of the promotions that they're offering and to what end are they going to add more things and this is just higher volume of no profitability i'm not sure where the scalability is um, in terms of just giving away free delivery you still have to pay the drivers you still have to make it attractive to the restaurants and when the revenue come back to the restaurants for people coming into their into their actual locations, like what happens? Like what do you what do you where do you think your food delivery is going? I, I mean, I, I have to next year. It's got to be down. I mean, like there's just no way when you know you just look at sort of the change in behavior. I, I mean, the thing I miss most, I mean, other than kind of doing meetings with actual humans in attendance, is going out and having a nice dinner. Like I miss eating out. I mean, other than sitting outside freezing my butt off, uh, you know, in New York City. I really miss eating out. And so I, I think that there's going to be a meaningful shift back. I don't know if you average it out across the whole country, how meaningful that is. Cause you know, we're skewed in New York in terms of eating out in general, but I, I got to believe that, you know, it might, the amount of time has to go to, that I spend ordering has to go down by, you know, 30, look, some, some of the increased volume is people now ordering lunch and breakfast. Cause you're working from home and like, that's also contributed to the volume. So if you're going back to the office a couple of days a week, then you know, are you going to do it the same way? Obviously in New York, that's the way we do it on wall street, but like, that's not how everyone does it. Like many people walk down from their buildings and the world's a different place than New York. So, I mean, that has to be, you know, a change, but we'll see. 
Good time to go public, though, if you're trying to jam this out before things start to change. I mean, we're going back into sort of the heat of the pandemic with, you know, California's locking down. Like, it it seems like a good time to take advantage of it. I mean, I guess you would have wanted to do it a few months ago, but sure. The numbers are good. Now. The promotions have been plus, there. Plus but, these equity markets. <laughs> but it's still a fra- fragmented market. Like, it's Grubhub, it's Uber Eats, it's DoorDash. Like, there's multiple. It's a fragmented market still. And the, the game plan to, from Uber Eats from day one was to basically use all those dollars to push everyone out of the market so the only guy left and then they could squeeze the restaurants. I mean, let's be honest, that was the game. And it's still a fright. There has been some consolidation, but it's still a fragmented market. And I don't think there's any loyalty. Like, I don't really care. Like, it doesn't matter to me as the consumer. I don't really feel like I'm more loyal to one versus the other at all. And they haven't really innovated as well. Like, why not have, if I'm my Uber Eats app, like, you know, integrate something where like, okay, I want to go to the restaurant because they have an outdoor table available and have the Uber guy take me to the restaurant. And like, you know, there's, there's so much opportunity for mm. innovation when you have engagement that has not been done. They're just competing on price and saying like, pay us five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month and we'll give you free delivery. I'm not sure that's going to be a profitable solution if you're paying a driver $15 or $8 to actually deliver the food to you. Any new TV series you guys are watching? Well, you know me on Mando and now on to, uh, you know, the the cartoon. But the cartoon. All oh, right. Clone Wars. Brandon. Yeah. Does this mean that we have no more slides? We're done. I just I was just curious. I always like to end. You know, I figured we just end on something fun. Um, like, what, are you, what are you watching? No, I mean, I, I, I just basically in my spare time, which has been very limited, been watching Game of Thrones and playing video games. So essentially, I'm like an IT guy now or something. I'm on a rewatch also with my wife on Succession, and she's, <laughs> I'm relating it to the obvious, which she gets a good kick out of. <laughs> oh, like, meaning our sector itself, like basically everything that happens well, in our no, world. Rupert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why. Uh, uh, Stop watching the news so much, though. Good. Thank God. Uh, that must be why you're in much a better mood. <laughs> oh, yeah, better mood. I'm still not sleeping, but, <laughs> you know. Okay, I'm going to go. This is a great week 33. That's all, everyone. Have a good weekend. Have a see you in a few minutes, Rich.